Basildon, Southend, Colchester and Chelmsford. Entrepreneurship is in the DNA of Essex. In fact, we have more startups than any other county in the UK. But how do we grow those startups right and achieve sustained business success? I'm Jill Willis, a long-time communication strategist and co-owner of Attract and Engage, the growth marketing agency. Welcome to Made in Essex, the podcast. Hello and welcome. Today, I'm really excited to speak to Director of Global Services at Foxway UK, Martin Series. Uh, from the Braintree HQ, Foxway UK is transforming the global tech industry. They're extending the life cycle of our mobile phones and our computers um, and ultimately preventing millions of those devices from going to landfill. So welcome to the podcast, Martin. I'm really looking forward to chatting today. Shall we get started? That'd be great, Jill, and uh, excited to have the opportunity to uh, talk to everyone. That's brilliant. Thank you. So I'm really keen to, I know you've had a really interesting journey since around 2016, but I'm really keen to understand a little more about your business, what it's known for. You know, give us some highlights. Oh, well, there's plenty of highlights, I think, uh, possibly a few lowlights, but plenty of highlights. So I think, uh, I mean, a brief history, you know, we, we were... We were part of a number of us in our senior management team were part of a former business which we developed in the in the computing space where we typically handle and manage used technology devices and that is anything from a you know data center infrastructure point of view so servers and storage devices through to laptops and pcs and then into mobile devices so mobile phones and tablets and things like that so we've been most of us in the senior team have been involved in this industry for around 25 years and in 2016 we built a started a new business having sold our previous one and um, we developed that pretty quickly and rapidly to being in a reasonably significant company so starting with just three people we're now around 130 um, in terms of revenues we took that business um, a couple of years ago up into around 150 million turnover so a pretty rapid growth from 2016 in, in the first four or five years and then more latterly, but literally two years ago or yeah just two years ago we were uh, we had a number of interested parties in acquiring our UK business. We were part of a, an equity, private equity business, back business out of the US. Uh, they were around five, then five, six years into their fund. And there was interest from Europe in, in buying the UK business. And uh, although they originally pushed back on that, they eventually said, no, OK, we could divest the UK business. And we were uh, following about a year's process of um, you know lots of you know, things that have to happen in, in an acquisition process we were acquired by a company called foxway and foxway is a swedish headquartered company but has operations across europe also operates globally and they're very heavily involved in what we call the circular it industry and that's really taking used devices refurbishing them and making them available to different channels so whether that's business to business whether it's consumers and they purchased us really because of our sourcing ability. We, we buy and they're able to source and provide services for very large volumes of this type of product. And of course, you need that if you're going to refurbish it. So that was really a, a little bit of background to that. And then since that time, we've, we've, we've spent a year sort of bedding into that environment and, and the culture, which is, is great being a Scandinavian culture. And we're now starting to become the one Foxway, as we call it. So we've, we've now re-changed our name from Global Resale to Foxway Circular UK Limited. And, and we're now trying to synergize between different parts of the group, how we bring all of these things together of what we offer to our customers. But the whole idea being it's around circular tech and enabling this circular tech for everyone and anyone to use anywhere in the world. So, so it sounds like 
you know, as you've described it, there has been, you know, a rapid period of growth for you and that actually the maturing of the market is happening. Where where do you and, and, and your, your, your new team and collaborators within the bigger Foxway group see the market? How, how far into that maturity are you? We were just talking earlier before we hit record about the maturity of the mindset and needing to change that from a linear approach to product design and then usage into a circular one. Where, where are we? What, what does the future look like? Oh, it's, it's really interesting and I think exciting at this minute in, in where that's going and, and, and to some extent where we are actually in that journey. So I think, first of all, and unfortunately, I do attend quite a lot of events and those are with manufacturers, they're with peers in our industry, with governmental people. So you get, you know, I probably got quite a good insight into that. But uh, I suppose there's a couple of things that are affecting us. First of all, let's take climate change, the real driver of why we've got to adopt circular. And that's not just in IT. Clearly, that's in everything we do. And there's lots of interesting things around IT. IT is a big contributor to carbon emissions. It's it, it uses a lot of precious materials and minerals. So you've got regulation coming at us from different parts of the world, including obviously the EU particularly, but also even in the UK. And if I think about, you know, probably people have heard some of the terms around SECR and some of this reporting for large companies that have to now report on their carbon emissions and, mm. and production data and so forth. But if you take a few other aspects of that, we've, and, and fundamentally, if we're going to try and develop circular, that's about thinking about, well, how do we even design that product in the first place? So, you know, when I'm hearing and talking to some of the manufacturers, they are actively and, and it's not just one or two of them that, you know, we hear it all the time. They are looking and understanding they've got to redesign the devices. So that could be from a number of points. You've got things like, you know, modern slavery. You've got conflict minerals. You've got the fact there's a scarcity of minerals and going to be. Um, there's the, the materials they build from. Are they making that device easier to repair to ultimately at the end of its life? You know, how do you recycle those materials and how can we then reuse those in new manufacturer again? And the bit that Foxway plays is in the middle, where what we can do is we can take those devices during their life, refurbish them and make them available for reuse. And that, that includes a, a whole sequence of different things. So, yes, we're going to deal with all the data that's on those devices and make sure it's erased and, and removed. Uh, we might have to reload an operating system and there's different ways and technicalities to doing that and make it so it's fit for, a, for another user to use. And then there's also the models of how you then commercialize that. So... If you think about the whole circularity piece and, and for the, from an OEM point, manufacturer point of view, that's going to be about them changing their commercial models. And I would suggest, you know, probably use the analogy or a metaphor of, of something like the car industry, where now a lot of us are quite familiar with renting a car. Um, and as we now know, you, you know, you can turn on and off different features and pay a little bit more. So almost like a subscription service. I think my view is probably that's where the IT industry is going to go as well because you're going to sell less brand new because you're going to have things lasting a longer time. Um, clearly, we all need IT. It's a, it's a need for anywhere in the world. And, of course, it's what helps support a lot of, you know, social inclusion and many other good things. So, let's, you know, we can't stop it. We, we, we actually need to encourage But how we embrace the circular piece. So, I think that, you know, that, that's the thing that's going to change. In a, in a circular model, I think we can actually, therefore more easily manage those devices, repair, refurbish, and make them available to, to more users over a longer period of time. To the ultimate point of when they do reach their end of life, we have message, message, you know, mechanisms in place to re recycle those materials and make sure those materials go back into almost what we call a closed loop mechanism, back into the manufacturer. 
Mm. And, and do you feel like there's been a, a particular moment or a particular piece of, of legislation even, I suppose, that's enabled you, you know, as, as Global Resale as was and then now and now as, as Foxway UK to really light the touch paper for growth? Can you can you kind of pinpoint moments along the way? I think, I mean, it's interesting because as I say I've been in this industry for a long time, uh, as most of our management have. And so we actually have built a previous company back in well, the late 90s to, uh, to, to until we sold it in 2015 doing what we're doing now now i think what has changed is the standards and some of the technical skills that we have now to do things to different devices clearly we've learned over time and and i suppose if you think about again if you if, you know the highlight of that or the or the chart the, the change in the the headwind to that and the tail i suppose you could say tailwind as well is around environmental social governance so esg which we, we're often seeing now in the press and that of course is being driven by certain regulations so whether it's secr or crsd in in europe um as to presenting scientific measurements of, of the carbon emissions that you, that you have but ultimately that's also driven by you know consumer acceptance of used devices and i think the significant moment in that actually was COVID. Um, in our industry, we immediately saw in COVID an enormous demand for used refurbished devices, um, particularly education. Um, and it, it was huge. And I think, you know, it, it was good for our business, but equally, I think it helped create the adoption of people accepting, yes, I can buy a refurbished device. And actually, it's good. It does what I need it to do. And so that definitely two or three years ago was the thing that drove this change and then more lastly it's definitely regulation and to a point now where we have regulation in certain countries particularly say France uh, Denmark as well which is regularly driven where in the public sector they need to be purchasing now a certain percentage of refurbished devices and we think that momentum is going to continue across the EU and it will come into the UK as well and as well as elsewhere in the world but it's also commercially the right thing to do for businesses um, particularly when economic times are tough you know, there's lots of things we can do to make a device available again to reuse, and it meets the requirements of the users. So those are probably a couple of the key things and changes that we've seen. Mm. And how are you How are you preparing? I know you're based in Braintree, and I think your team is around 130 now. How are you preparing for what sounds like another another period of, of you know, sustained growth? for your skills for, you know reskilling bringing on board the right team that, that fit with the culture kind of i'd love to know more about that the fact you're based in braintree and, and how that the, the local area delivers for you in terms of team i think yeah i mean so, um, you know i guess we're like no like well no different to any other business we've we've all had our challenge over the last couple of years really with you know having come out of covid there's it's harder to find people the ones you do have you've got to pay more so there are lots of challenges in that and of course you know that's something every business faces and in fact i guess now being part of a much larger company across europe it's actually the same everywhere else it surprises people we're not you know you always see what we see localized but actually it's the same problem everywhere that's logistics and there's lack of drivers to operational staff and so forth however i think you know one of the benefits we've had is you know some of the people you know we've worked with and do work with we've known for many many years so we have that piece obviously is the way in which we train I think key to finding people and retaining them is the culture that we have. And we, we you know, I think that's been even more important being part of a Scandinavian company because it's a, it's all about the people. And I, and I think if there was something I would probably say to any company and that I've learned and even going through an acquisition processes. And I, in fact, 
you know, when you go through certainly larger acquisitions, there are organizations that are simply buying you for numbers. But then there's the companies that really get it and I think buy for the people. And I think that is the most critical thing for the success of both the business you have, but equally also for how you're going to resource in future, how you're going to grow your business. Um, yes, we can talk about automation and artificial intelligence, all those good things that we're going to have to embed in our operations. But actually, you're still going to have to have people. And they're, they're a finite resource. And, and we need to you know, find better ways of recruiting better and, and absolutely how you retain people. So I think that's, uh, you know, that's that's where we're at today. But we will continue to expand in the UK. But we are also very fortunate we have operations across Europe where we're going to do the same because what we feel is going to happen if it follows suit in terms of this demand for refurbished, we have got to exponentially grow our capability uh, and volumes to make that available to fit the market. Absolutely. I think that's given us such a good insight into the journey so far for you guys and and what the future holds. And I think what I'd love to do after the break is just to dig in a little bit about the Queen's Award, which you won back in 2021, um, and just talk about the process and I think how that's really benefited and played a part in in your growth. Absolutely. As we grow our businesses, it's really helpful to have advice from leaders who've been there and done that. And so in this special feature, we wanted to invite our guests to answer an anonymous question from the podcast community, something tricky that they're stuck on or a problem or a challenge that's holding the growth of their business back. So stay tuned for later in this episode as we ask a question and our guest answers. Welcome back. My guest today is Martin Series, Director of Global Services at Foxway UK. Martin, before the break, we were just chatting about the story so far and and really that kind of extraordinary growth that you're seeing and the real positive green shoots that that we're seeing across all of Europe, really, in terms of a shift to that circular economy and all of us understanding that actually a a piece of technology can be used over and over again um, and people can benefit at all levels of kind of the social spectrum because of that. Um, so I, I think I was really excited when I saw that you were, were one of the businesses based in Essex that had won the Queen's Award for Enterprise um, in the international trade category. Um, and obviously now it's it's called the King's Award. Um, I'd love to understand from your perspective what it meant to win, you know, and, and, and the benefits that you felt as a business. Can you share some of that with us? I'd love to because I think um, it is a unique award um, that I don't think people realize and and the reason i say that is that you know those of us that are in businesses and particularly bigger businesses that we, we see awards all the time but the realities of many of those is they are i'm not going to say they're as far as paid for but in effect you book a table and it's a dinner and it's usually the salespeople or the senior management that attend those what makes the kings or what what the queens award different is it involves the entire company they may not realize it but it does one because of the way in which you have to apply in the first instance it's pretty detailed it's a pretty diligent process but i think beyond that when you go into the bit of and if you are successful enough to win one it absolutely is about all the people in your business and they all get recognized uh, particularly at the awards presentation you know i mean and i'd like to think it's probably the same elsewhere but you know the amount of dignitaries we had that came in and they spent time you know, talking to all of our different employees. And I thought it's in, it includes everyone. That's the difference. Um, if I can sort of hit it, you know, nail on the head, that is what it is. And that, that's really important. Hi, Jill here. 
I wanted to invite you to check out our free Marketing in the Tender Process ebook at attractandengage.co.uk. While there, hit subscribe to the newsletter, see old blog editions and watch helpful quick tip videos to help you with marketing, planning, content creation and more. So check out attractandengage.co.uk today. So I think now it'd be really interesting just to get kind of back into the business. And and I would love to understand your origin story and how you got into, you know, the, the world of tech, the world of tech reuse. How did that all begin? Oh, goodness. Now we are going back a bit. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been an interesting history. I, I, I mean, like probably most people, I sort of fell into it accidentally. <laughs> um, you know, I wasn't uh, from an IT background. I mean, in back in the 90s, IT was pretty still fairly young. Um, I saw a advert for a role and um, I needed to get, I wanted a new job. I wanted something nearer to where I lived. And I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. Let's go for it. Uh, I turned up for an interview. Um, I was offered the job. Can you start next week? Almost in those days, you, you, tend to, you didn't have to tend to give too much notice. So I literally uh, kicked off. And, and that role was really building um, the services business for in effect, what I'm doing now, circular computing. Um, and, I, you know, I, I remember the first day I started, I met the M, well, that was two MDs at that time, but the, the, the main sales MD. Uh, he gave me a sheet of paper, because in those days it wasn't even that computer-driven, sheet of paper, 30 names on it. And he said, I'm only going to tell you once, you've got, uh, you've got three months to win some business or you don't have a job. Well, that's, that's pretty compelling to, to have to do something. Now, bear in mind, this is an industry I had no knowledge of, really. I, you know, I, I sort of knew what a computer was, but I had no knowledge of, well, you know, what happens to computers once somebody's finished with them? And I quickly realized that, you know, and, and they'd been in a position where they historically had literally walked into a room of a large corporation and said, well, we'll give you, you know, £50,000 or £100,000 for all of that equipment. And nothing was really asked. You know, it's just, well, OK, you buy it and whatever. But when I came into the into this industry and business, the reason they wanted to develop this new role was really because companies started to ask, and, and also governments, well, what, um, what do you do about the data? Uh, what happens environmentally? Uh, can I have a report about this, that, and the other? And that's actually what created my, my career. And um, having not known anything, I quickly thought, well, okay, what's the reason someone's going to pay for a service? So I spent some time building out, well, okay, what's the regulation that affects everyone? What, what's the reason that's going to drive somebody to want to need this service? Let alone the commerciality of clearly laptops and computers have value. So, you know, it's that the, the fortunate thing in our industry is often we're returning more revenue than it costs to manage it. That's always a good position to be in. So it certainly helps the, the business case. But yeah, literally within that, that first three months, I, I did win some significant business pretty quick. And certainly within about six months, I won some huge contracts. And then I was asked to really then build out quite quickly a, uh, a customer service team to how we deliver it. And then to actually then develop and build a sales team. And of course, then from since then, I've just gone on to do that in different guises in slightly different segments of the market. But always also an eye on of how we're going to deliver you know or, or develop the business and strategize for the future as well mm. so that's you know in short a little bit about my career history and is there i suppose you know that that kind of process of taking a small business and then building out the operational mechanics of it you know bringing in the right people having the right processes 
Is there kind of any advice, I suppose, that looking back on on, on your on all, all the warts and all journey that you've been through that you'd share with with businesses that are at that point now that are really starting to build out an operational functioning machine on the, on what you're talking about, customer care, sales. Would there be any advice that you'd give? Yeah, I think I mean it's always difficult, isn't it? Because you the one beauty is as as you as you develop your career is with a bit of age and experience. I mean, there's, no, there's nothing you can, I suppose, replace experience for. And the one thing I think I have learned is that we're all different. Um, and it's sometimes difficult to impart experience. You just have to learn. And you can either go get and be one of those, or you can follow. Um, so I think, you know, you're always going to have your leaders. And we all know how difficult it is to find good people. But the truth is, it is always about team. It's not, you know, it's not any individual. And we're all ultimately success or failure of the people around us so i think you know the first thing is building up a really good team and also to perhaps understand your own weaknesses as well as your strengths because within a team it's about compensating perhaps for either skills you don't have weaknesses you may have as well as the strengths um and so i think you need a good core team around you i think the other part is i think you also have to really understand your business and your industry and okay that does come over time and thirdly that to have the passion um i think you know i i fairly early in my career and it was only a comment that a customer said um and and you know i'm not a professional presenter or or i don't view myself as a professional salesperson necessarily but the one comment i did get back once is we can tell you're you're saying this from your heart not just from your head and I thought that was quite an important um, point to make because that is that's my style. That's the way I do things. I have to believe in what I'm selling. And I think I would say that's important for a lot of other people. I, I accept, you know, some people it, it is about you know just a salary and everything else. But to me, it's a little. I think you have to have a passion for what you do. You're going to be doing it for a long time. Mm. So and even in the B2B space, you know, it's not just kind of business to consumer and, and, and kind of sexy products where there needs to be passion. I, I'm a firm believer that even in the B2B market, we're all individuals ultimately who are buying something. You know, your decision maker who's signing the, the corporate check is still buying in, from an emotive place. And I think especially with, you know, with a, with a with a decision like the decision you're talking about, you know, someone could make, you know, a really kind of seismic difference by making a decision about the way that they think about the technology and the, the reuse opportunities of the technology that they've invested in. And that's that's a personal legacy almost that they could leave. So I think it's always emotive and it's always best to be emotive. I think it sounds to me like you're still really, really loving it. Do you think is, is that the case? Most of the time. <laughs> I think I think, you know, as you as you develop again your career and certainly in management, obviously there's also a lot of other things come at you that are not necessarily things you may be wanting to do, but they they're part of running a business. So um or being a senior, you know, member of, of running a business. So I think with all businesses there's an awful lot as everyone knows, and I and I, I've also been in a very small business where which I started originally and I so I understand how difficult it is to be a, a king of all things, um or queen of all things. Um, but um but it's you know you you, ha- you need good people around you you know and i know i said that in the previous sort of um answers to another question but i think that's absolutely key you need to be a team and driving together with that same passion same commitment and and there are different things you have to do in the in the life of that business as well and adapt and change and be prepared to change because 
it doesn't stay the same. Nothing stays the same. And and I know a lot of people struggle with the change piece, but actually it's also most, one of the most exciting things when you do do it. And that's what keeps me motivated, even now I'm a little bit older. So, yes. Yeah, you keep transitioning into the next leader that you need to be. Yes, <laughs> it's yeah, never absolutely. the same thing. <laughs> Thank you. That's wonderful. So, Martin, we all know that, you know, startups and scale ups, they're often really struggling for the resources to help them understand and address the challenges and opportunities. So in this portion of the podcast, I'd love to invite you to answer a question from our audience and share uh, some of the advice that you've learned. Are you up for that? Absolutely. Let's uh, let's see what we can do. Brilliant. So today I've got a business owner who we're going to call Louise um, and she asks, I feel like I'm drowning in a deluge of decisions that need to be made. I know I have to encourage everyone in my team to think for themselves and use their own judgment, but it's a really big shift. Have you got any advice to help me understand how to create a culture that empowers others to make good decisions? Wow, what a great question and um, appreciate the challenge, Louise. But I think so. I think a couple of things. First of all, uh, I know we've discussed this earlier, but I think, you know, as you progress into a management role or a business owner role, it is critical to build a great team. You, you know, you need good people around you with the skills that you may not have, the skills that you need to run a business and certainly, you know, to, to operate uh, a successful business and profitable business because ultimately you need to make it sustainable. I think with that also comes building and establishing a really good culture of your business because a great culture breeds a great synergy and uh, and all of the good things that, again, can lead to success. So I think when you then talk about, you know, people, then I think obviously in a management position, you need to encourage and motivate people to believe in themselves. Um, and the sort of, I suppose the technique I tended to use, and I appreciate everyone has a different style and we've all probably many of us have been on different courses, but, but for me, it's about encouraging people to, when there's a challenge or an opportunity is let them come up with the solution and present it back to you. That's, you know, that's the way hopefully they're going to learn. But then perhaps certainly in your early career or their early career, they need to then share that with you. And, you, and you know, as a manager, you can go through the hows and the whys. But I find that one saves me considerable time as a manager, uh, and particularly because that's, it is precious when you're trying to run a business. Um, but it also helps them believe in themselves and understand what they're doing. Now, there's probably one little snippet I would probably add to that, and that whether we want to say it or not as managers, but the truth is the manager doesn't always know the answer either. And so let's not, you know, that I suppose the question from that, if I just have a moment just to say, is you know, people will often ask me, well, what's management like? What What is it? And I probably like, I'd like to just explain that quite simply. And it's all it is really as a manager, or, and I, I accept a business owner has a slightly different challenge, but it's, it's having the ability to take responsibility and be prepared to make decisions for which you will be accountable. Now, out of that, you really just need to get at least 51% or more right, and you'll probably be okay. But, you know, that is, that is what being a manager is. So you can be anywhere in that business if you've got the right skills aptitude clearly uh, an attitude you can be successful mm. and i think so 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 what i'm hearing there is really that you 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 should or, or and louise should consider how she can embolden her team and and put the onus the responsibility on them to come up with those ideas and come to her as the sounding board i suppose to present those ideas back and to move forward from there um I suppose to be a, a mentor to help her team be innovative and come up with the ideas themselves 
as opposed to, I suppose, when we think about a more traditional uh, autocratic leader, it's actually a leader as a mentor, isn't it, to enable and embolden a team? Yes, no, I think that's a great way of putting it because, uh, you know, there's a difference between mentoring and coaching, perhaps. Um, but if you can get, if you can mentor, they have to think for themselves and mm-hmm. they're going to come up with some of the solutions themselves. Um, they're going to gain much more experience, I think, probably more quickly. Now, accepting you, you've still got to make some right decisions, um, but you are a sounding board. And what you'll find as the, as, as the team builds and its experience builds is, you, you know, you're able to answer more complex things at lower levels. Yes, OK, you still have to have controls around some of those things, but people then know what to ask, who to ask, when to ask. And as a manager, that's what, what you need. You want to empower people. Um, as long as they understand, you know, the, the governments around it, then I think that's that's probably the best way to do it. Mm, thank you. That's that's wonderful. Navigating growth is hard and winning new business through challenging economic times is not a one size fits all. Attract and engage and its proven sales funnel based marketing approach can help by tailoring tactics and content to meet the specific needs and expectations of your prospects. Attract and Engage helps you increase the number of sales you make and the long-lasting customer relationships you foster. To learn more, visit attractandengage.co.uk. So before the end, I'd like to ask you three questions. Are you up for that? Yes, yes, come on, let's go. (laughs) Brilliant. So question number one, I'd really love to know who is a business leader that you admire and why? Yeah, that, you know what, that is such a tough question to answer. Um, probably when I was younger, you know, you always fascinated you called, you know, Richard Branson or something like that. But I don't really have a particular single business leader that I necessarily follow. There are moments in times of your career when you look at certain people. But, and I, and to be honest, I appreciate anyone, whether they're starting a business, whether it's senior people in business. But if there was a few people I would probably call out now, I think, and what I see in happening in certainly the business environment is, you get this both with small businesses, but but if I think about a biz, big business or a large one, particularly in our industry, I, I think of people like Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, um, where you know you had a business there that needed to adapt and change, and you, you I just think, well, God, a business that that that's so large, how do you make a difference? And you know, when I think about some of the things that are happening now around AI, some of the ways they've developed some of their tools, how they monetize some of the different ways in which they've done things. I just think that is that has got to be such a skill. I mean, I, I I don't know what his day looks like, but it must be such an art. And and again, I suspect again, it's, it's a phenomenal team that are around them. But to have the foresight to think ahead and to be enact those changes with a business of that size is pretty significant. And you know, and but equally, I think I also love a lot of the you know entrepreneurs who start businesses. I mean, hats off to anyone who does that. It's tough. Um, and there's a lot of no doubt those people that have done that. And actually, they often become subsumed into something else much bigger simply because those larger organizations have other people that have the investment and finance behind to, in effect, commercialize these opportunities. There are also clearly a lot of failures along the way. But often, I think in my experience, it's not necessarily the the, the, the people that are first to market that become the leaders. Um, and, and that's one of the you could say good or bad things but so yeah I, I, there isn't a single person but anyone who's in business and runs their own business or 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 is it capable of changing something i think hats off to them yeah yeah i am absolutely in agreement question number two what are the first three ingredients that you would say go into a business successful business recipe 
Oh, again, this is a this is a tough one because there's lots of different parts you could say are really important. But I think fundamentally, if I think about how do you, what you need to do to build a business, it has to start with sales. You've got to have a really good. You've got to be generating income, mm. and you know. So firstly, sales. Without a good sales team, you can have the best product or service in the world, but if you can't sell any, there is a challenge. Um, and you need, obviously, with that, achievable targets to drive the growth and profitability. So that, that, that really is important. Secondly, I think as the business develops, you need to have all the constituent parts. So, you know, a great build a great culture. You need the team to make it work. So you're going to need, you know, your finance specialists. You're going to need your HR. You're going to need your operational teams. And dare I say, you're also going to need your supply chain partners uh, as well as your customers. You need all of those things because ultimately those businesses are only as good as their people uh, and the people you work with. Um, and then lastly, I guess the, the third one I would say is, um, and again, fundamental success of any business is is cash flow. Um, it's, the, it's the one thing that, you know, it, it, can, it can kill you, um, but it can also be the secret to success. So I think, you know, great products and services are critical for that success. But ultimately, you need to understand when and how to get paid because liquidity can be the success or failure of a business despite everything else. Mm, mm. So sales, a great ecosystem of people and cash flow. I think that's that's brilliant. Those three are great. So so the, the, the third and final question for you, it's a bit of a sliding doors moment that, that we like to do. So can you pinpoint a milestone moment that set you on this path as opposed to a different path? Ah, yes. I mean, again, it's a tough one because I think um, we all have different opportunities, different moments in our lives that, that things change. But having said that, ultimately, it's a point you which you perhaps something presents itself in front of you. And it's whether you are prepared, and I accept this sort of element of risk, but you're prepared to take that decision. So I think one is, um, you know, taking that chance when it's presented. And sometimes these things are forced on you. And that certainly happened to me on a, in a couple of occasions. Um as you develop your career. Um, so I think the most significant thing for me came, you know, having had a few tough years of having had lost a business and then moving into an industry I didn't have any experience of. However, what it did teach me, and I, and I, and I guess this is the thing of being this, you know, fear of change and things, is surprising sometimes the skills that you, and experience you have had that you actually can adapt much more easily than you probably realize into another industry. Um, and I guess the, you know, that, that major opportunity for me was moving into the IT industry. Um, and I, I think I said earlier, you know, I was, okay, it was tough to begin with because I was literally given a piece of paper with 30 names on it and you're going to go and win some business in the next three months or you haven't got a job. Um, and beyond that, in an industry that I didn't have any experience of. But it was the door that opened some huge opportunities for me. Um, and yes, I had to seize it. Um, and, and I think... Maybe that's the point. You, you sometimes have to seize these opportunities and just, and just run with it. Um, but fundamentally, also find something that you can believe in and that you enjoy. Um, that absolutely is key. And I, I, you know, I've met and worked with some phenomenal people over the years. Um, and that has probably been the, well, I think that has to be the most enjoyable part of, of what we do. It's, you know, yes, okay, money's important and things, but actually it's who you end up working with. We spend so much time with each other. Um, so, you know, being in that environment where you can influence, you know, particularly as they get older, younger people coming into the industry, uh, developing all of these skills that you're going to need with them and, 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 and also adapting to changes in the industry. Don't, you know, nothing stands still. So I think, you know, 
my my lesson was you know don't be afraid of change you're probably almost certainly better than you think you are um, and sometimes you have to take a chance yeah absolutely I hear you on that so so Martin I suppose I suppose to, to wrap up our conversation I'd, I'd like to know from your perspective what's the dream and what keeps you awake at night at the moment well I I, I mean it's interesting because I mean now now we've gone through um an, another you know an acquisition of having sold our business to a, to a Swedish company uh, and all of a sudden it opens your eyes up to one the commitment behind that business in terms of its sustainability agenda and being Scandinavian clearly it's very heavily focused around what does circular really mean and and also to the I suppose if I think about the whether it's a challenge or opportunity it's what I believe the scale could be with uh, the people that believe in this so I've now got the bit between my teeth again to right. what's that next five years look like? What can I do to influence or be part of that change? So that's the exciting thing for me. If I think about the, the downside of that, it's clearly, yes, we're you know now part of an even bigger business. It comes with even more compliance, even more regulation. And I, I guess I'm a warrior. I do care about those things. Um, integrity matters to me. So I think if there's things that keep me awake, it's probably more to do with those than it is to do with sales targets. And honestly, I think it's um, it's I want to be the best that I can be, but I also want our business to be the best that it can be. And I'm not going to say it's going to be perfect because there's no such thing. But I hope to be able to influence that in what I do, but also in, in perhaps other people across the business. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And I think it's going to be really exciting to to follow the journey over the next couple of years and and see what what you achieve next. Great. Well, thank you ever so much, George. It's been a great opportunity to uh, share. And I hope it, uh, it helps or encourages a few other people. So thanks to my guest, Martin Series, director of Foxway UK an Essex based business who is leading the world on the transition to the circular tech economy. If you're looking for more insight and advice from our county's most inspiring business leaders, join me next time on Made in Essex. You've been listening to another episode of Made in Essex, the podcast. This is a production of Attract and Engage, the growth marketing agency. This podcast was produced by Katie Staines, Paul Golder and me, Jill Willis. With special thanks to Phoenix FM. To find more episodes, visit us at attractandengage.co.uk or find us wherever you get your podcasts. For more business growth related content, follow our marketing agency on LinkedIn and Instagram.